and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Quarter Time. It's been yet another bye week in the Vitality Netball Super League, which not going to lie, Lisa, I've actually been quite grateful for a little <laughs> bit of a break. But that doesn't mean that there hasn't been any netball actions. So Lucy P, talk us through what we've got on today. So today we're taking another look at the ANZ Premiership. This time it's round eight and we're analysing one game in particular in detail. So we'll be bringing you a rundown of all the action from that particular game, as well as diving into some juicy stats. Then we have our second player profile with the wonderful Gia Ebenethy, Strathclyde Sirens captain and midcourt powerhouse. Amazing. So let's crack on. The ANZ game that we're going to look at is the one goal thriller between Steel and Magic. Mm. Oh, mate, it was a great game. So what was interesting for me is that Magic started simple at goal attack, which I much prefer because they, you know, a couple of rounds they've had Grace Cara in there who although she does feed Bassett really well, it's really, really noticeable that she is a wing attack in a goal attack bib. Mm. And they did actually move her into goal attack in the final quarter instead of bringing on absolute gun in Kiana Williams. I don't think Bassett has necessarily had as good of a season so far as she was hoping for and as the Bassett stands were hoping she would have either. I I just don't think she looks particularly comfortable with that knee and her Mm. reluctance to take any shot that isn't sort of directly underneath the ring, I think really hurts the magic. It's kind of like the same as Grace Nowicki, but the Mystics don't seem to have as big a problem of recycling the ball to feed her as the magic sometimes do. Bassett was also clearly not a huge fan of the physical presence that Fafita had, who Mm. I think actually did a brilliant job to get her hand to so much ball, given the height difference of 11 centimetres. And because of that hassling and that pressure, I think Bassett's hands started to let her down slowly but surely throughout the game. So clearly she was being, you know, pretty worn out. So what what do the numbers tell us in terms of shooting, Luce? Well, Bassett only missed two in this game and put up 39 from 40 at 95%. Mm. And Chara Semple only missed one. And she put up 19 from 20 at 95%. Bearing in mind, she only played the first three quarters of the game. Mm. That is pretty good for a goal attack. Those are some good numbers that you would expect to see after a full game. And then, as you mentioned, Grace Cara came on in the final quarter and she didn't have any attempts. And you just wonder whether that could have made the difference for Magic. Mm. And what you were saying about Bassett shooting under the post, I mean, Chara Semple was sinking them from anywhere Mm -hmm. and she was very accurate from that range. So I feel like you need to have a long range shooter partnered with your tall holding shooter that's the typical combination Mm. and then looking over at the steel George Fisher was obviously 50 from 54 at 92 percent and Maturo was nine from 10 at 90 percent I think their combo is pretty rock solid and Mm. it's amazing how it's gelled so quickly and Fisher still remains the most accurate shooter in the competition 
which is pretty cool yes go George I love those two like what I a little side note what I love the most is like whenever George goes to shoot you can hear Tiana being like oh you G oh you and I'm like yes I need a cheerleader in my life like that so um I love that (laughs) yeah they look like they've been playing together for years which is really really good yeah definitely but moving on to the midcourt I think Shannon Saunders had a freaking awesome game. And as much as I love, you know, George Fisher repping, getting MVP, I actually thought that Shannon was robbed. Mm. She was often the only option available in attack for Steel. Even though, like, they did have a good game overall, she was an absolute powerhouse and she has so much hustle to win the ball. So what do the stats tell us about Saunders? Well, I think I agree with you. Saunders had a fantastic game. She had 14 goal assists and 29 feeds, which is a good day at the office. But she also had 28 centre pass receives, an intercept, two deflections and three pickups, (laughs) which is excellent for a wing attack. What I find interesting is how well she shares the load with Maturo, who picked Mm. up 23 goal assists and 23 centre pass receives. So they really share that load and distribute the ball evenly. And it means that any defensive unit, if they're coming up against them, they just really struggle because they're so difficult to pin down and there's not really a weak link that they can exploit. And Mm. I think they just bring the ball down so nicely. And yeah, I'm a big, big fan of what Shannon Saunders is doing at the moment. Yeah, I, I really do think that that attacking combo of, of Fisher, Maturo and Saunders is really starting to settle. And I hope that they retain all three of them for next season. Because I, I do think there's room for improvement with Saunders letting the ball go a bit earlier into Fisher. I think mm. often she's on and she's not getting the ball, but but that will come. I think they're doing a great job um, in the meantime. And in terms of the defence... Magic got out to a really strong start, taking an early lead and seemed to have very little trouble finding the post. But their defence picked up a lot of whistle early. It genuinely seemed like every time the ball was in the steel shooting circle, either Fakahokatao or Mikaire was picking up a penalty. And some of them I just found really unnecessary. So much so that the umpire then had to call time and pull the captains over with six minutes left of the second quarter to basically tell them all to pass on the message to tighten up. And this is really interesting for me because the comms team said that Steele had 18 penalties at that point, but Magic had a whopping 42 after about 25 minutes of netball. So what detail do we have on the penalty front, loose? Okay, well, looking at the games overall, interestingly, both teams ended up being very high on penalties, still finishing on 63 and Magic on 68. Mm. And the most penalised player on court was Erina Mikare with 18. But interestingly, Tanisha Fafita from the Steel had seven in the final quarter alone, which was the same amount as Temelisi Fakahakatao in the second quarter. So there was a lot of penalties all over the court. What I found interesting, though, in terms of the penalty count breakdown per quarter was that in the first and last, it actually correlated to the quarter score. So when Magic had more penalties, they lost the quarter. And when they had fewer penalties, they won. In the first quarter, it was 21 Magic penalties to Steele's three and Steele won that quarter by five. And in the fourth quarter, it was 13 Magic penalties to Steele 23 and Magic won by three. So interesting. And it'd be cool to see whether that correlates over more different quarters in lots of different games. And if there's any connection between teams winning and number of penalties. 
Yeah, that would be really cool to see. So if anyone fancies uh, doing that, just, uh, just let us know. So what were some of the key overall stats in this match? Okay, so Magic actually won the second half of this game. They had 16 to 13 in both quarters three and quarter four. And they even went on a run of six in the third quarter. But Mm. despite this, the steal led for the majority of the match from around halfway through the first quarter and obviously then came away with that very narrow win. Mm -hmm. Magic's gain to goal rate was 83% compared to Steele's 60%, which is pretty good. Mm. But their center pass to goal was down at 71% to the Steele's 78%. In reality, though, there was not a lot to separate these sides, which is just one of the really awesome things about the ANZ competition, particularly. After eight rounds, there are no teams that are unbeaten and no teams have won zero matches. Also, the goal difference percentage is above 90% for all the teams. So across all the matches, this means even if they're losing, it's not by very much. And if we compare this to their friends across the pond over in SSN, each team has at least one win after six rounds and only one team remain unbeaten, which is, of course, West Coast Fever. Mm -hmm. The goal difference percentage is a little more varied over there with the Vixens on 86%, but still not too bad considering the Super Shop probably has a bit of an impact on those goal differences as well. So yeah, Mm. interesting stuff. Coming up next, we chat to Strathclyde Sirens captain and former Adelaide Thunderbird, Gia Abernethy, about her playing journey and what she's learned from her years at the elite level. It is fantastic to welcome the wonderful Gia Abernethy onto the show with us. Welcome, Gia. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So before we chat to you in a bit more detail about your playing career and how you got started in netball, can you tell us what's the mood like in the Sirens camp at the moment, given the anticipation and the possibility of maybe being in that top four in the coming weeks? It's um, Actually, as you can imagine, a very, very fun, fun feel at the moment. I think the feel before the Wasps match in Copper Box, we knew we had those games left. We knew how the first round sort of played out. So there was a lot of excitement, but um, probably a bit of nerves as well, just because they were very winnable for us. Uh, like the girls were so competitive for those ones and really wanted to get the points in that match just because it was a draw last time. So since mm. we've had those games um, with the Bath one in the middle, it's, yeah, spirits are definitely high. I'm looking forward to these last two weeks. It's a funny one when you look at it because it's going to be a few things need to go our way for us to make it in, even if we do win them. But I think just beating the the last sort of two wins we've gotten was enough of a pat on the back at the moment that we knew we could do that. So yeah, everyone's feeling great, as you'd imagine. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing because obviously you had the draws last time and then this time round you won both of those. And Lucy and I were discussing all the different routes of how people can get into the top mm. four last week. It's, it's so difficult, isn't it, to sort of try and work out the puzzle. But yeah, amazing work, you guys. And yeah, wishing you guys all the best for sure. So we would love to hear about your netball journey from the very beginning. So right up to now in 2021, when you're obviously at Sirens. So take us back to the early days when you first started playing netball. Who first inspired you to take up the sport? Probably, I want to say mum, just because she was the only one when I was that age that was playing netball. But I don't know too much about her journey because I think she sort of stopped playing when she hit sort of 17, 18. But once I got into it, I have two sisters and 
all three of us just loved it. So you kind of just do it because your sisters are doing it and that's just what our weekends turned into. So um, yeah, mum introduced it to us, but once your sisters are doing something, you you don't want to be left out. So joined in uh, just for a school primary school team when I was in grade three. So that was about, you know, seven years old and then joined club. What was it? I was probably 12. Yeah, joined a club when I was 12 and that was just like, it's called Church Netball back in Australia. It's got nothing to do with a church. It's just <laughs> the league that, you know, you play in. Um, that was just pretty casual. And then as I sort of started to really enjoy that and play in my older sister's team, I sort of thought, okay, this is actually something that we're not too bad at. Maybe we should try, you know, to join another club that's a bit more competitive. And we joined Contact Netball Club, which it's a lot of famous Australian netballers have played for them. You know, everyone sort of heard of Contact Netball Club every now and then, but they've mm-hmm. got the likes of Catherine Harvey Williams, you know, Nat Bomberto, Laura Bomberto, a lot of Thunderbirds. I think Tracy Neville actually played for Contact Netball Club for a couple of years, which is just a funny sort of turn of fate that now she's sort of back involved in the league now. So, yeah, that was sort of where I got most of my competitive netball when I was sort of going through that awkward teenage years, you know, 12, 13, <laughs> where you think, Am I actually good at this? Am I not? Am I just tall? What's happening? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then ever then, ever since then it sort of was all underage rep teams. There was the under-15s, under-17s, under-19s. You kind of just go through it. And because I kept making them, I was all of a sudden thrown into the pathway with the Sports Institute selection camps that, you know, you go to your national camps at the AIS and eventually leading to Thunderbirds training partners back in... 2014 didn't think a whole lot of it just you know was happy to be there and then you guys might remember Emily Beaton she was the Thunderbirds wing attack quite tall she hurt herself so in a weird twist of fate I was the next midcourt that got called in to sort of fill in for that for that I didn't play at all I sat on the bench for maybe 12 weeks as you do back in the day when it was just seven who played and that was it there was no Mm -hmm. Someone had to sort of have their leg chopped off if someone had to come off the bed. So loved that, enjoyed that. Everything was sort of going as good as it could be. Thought I was, you know, the best thing going. Got released back to my club and when Emily got better and then that week back at club, I tore my ACL. So I was like, how good's life? This is great. You know, can do no wrong. And then, yeah, it all just came crashing down. So that year in itself was pretty crazy in terms of emotions yeah I'm thinking here we go taking off and then it's like oh what do you mean I can't play anymore so (laughs) yeah that was like a huge huge moment in my I guess netball career you'd say that just learned so much about myself so much about my character what I want to sort of what I find important in values and all that and just because you have a I don't know if you guys have done any serious injuries like that but you have a lot of time by yourself (laughs) just rehabbing like a lot of time to think by yourself but fought really hard in rehab, like I did it. I was kind of your perfect patient. I'm a physio as well. So I was like, you give me these exercises, I will do them, whatever you need. <laughs> so got back playing, I think I was yeah, playing full games at nine months, went to nationals, did that and, and came back and touch wood, haven't had too many issues with it since, which is great. But yeah, that really did kind of throw a spanner in the, in the works in terms of my Thunderbirds pathway it was all sort of leading to it but you have that year out and someone else gets an opportunity and they took it with both hands as well so mm. she's a good friend of mine the one the other midcourt that got that spot and she's been doing great things since but I always felt like I was on the back foot 
after that. Like I was just that year behind, if, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So just as a training partner for the next sort of two, three, four years. And then Dan Ryan became the Thunderbirds coach and he picked me in to travel for, you know, to go on the match day 10. What year is that? would have been 20... 2017, I think we found. Yeah. Yep. We have yep. done a bit of Googling on you. Oh, my you. God. I, I was you. like, I think it's 2017. And then you were like, yes, good. Okay, I've got my timeline right. Um, <laughs> and he put me on in like round one. There was, I think we were down to fever at halfway through the third quarter and he was like, do you warm up? And I was like, what? <laughs> Bench doesn't come on. Came on and we ended up coming back and winning that game. So it was like kind of the perfect debut, if you if you can imagine that. We saw a one report describe you as a nerveless debutante when you took to court in that match, um, which I think is an amazing description. So can you take us through what was going on in your head when Dan asked you to go on? Definitely not nervous. Definitely not. <laughs> because if you know, you, you see it when the coach looks down and you don't really know who they're talking to, but you're like, they're going to tell someone to warm up. And then he just went, cheer, warm up. And everyone on the bench was like, that's you, good girl. And I was like, <laughs> and the first thing you do is like, do you want passes? Because you just want to make sure they're okay. And you're kind of like, do I want passes? Like, what do I need to do? <laughs> like, everything's like, don't really run because my heart rate was going. And Chelsea Pittman was the wing attack. And I've got quite a good relationship with Chelsea. That was great. And I was coming on. And because it was my home crowd as well, it was just like, oh, like, don't, like, just get the first set of pass off. So, yeah, lots, definitely not nervous, but I always sort of <laughs> thought we're down. So what's the worst that can happen? Like, I can't ruin this if we're already down. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it flew by. Like, I think it was only maybe four minutes ago in the third quarter and then the whole last quarter. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, I can't remember how many we won by, but it was enough to be up with like four minutes to go that you're like, now nah, we actually have this. And I was just like, oh, I think I threw about, about three feeds, <clears throat> excuse me, into Courtney Bruce's hands. I was like, oh, but we somehow got it back. But I was like, it's fine, dude. Keep going. <laughs> but yeah, definitely not nervous, but I'm glad that the, the media took it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I think you definitely came across well in that in that match particularly. And at this point, you'd obviously had quite a lot of experience. You'd been playing as part of the under-21s team as well previously. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about your debut for the national team and what that moment was like. Yeah, so just the under-21 Australian team um, was where I had sort of that involvement. It was pretty cool. Usually when you get selected in the under-21 Australian team, you go and play world youth cup or you do whatever the competition is that year but because the year I was in it didn't really have anything it was actually normal world cup year in Sydney so our tournament was a sort of a camp and matches against all the teams leading up to that so we got to play the diamonds a couple of times New Zealand Burns New Zealand A England were there so we were kind of their warm-up matches leading into world cup which was really cool because you saw everyone's prep you saw like what teams I think New Zealand brought over the silver ferns and their A team in case there was an injury so we got matches against both of them a lot of the girls in the team I was in like Kate Maloney Liz Watson all of them went on to play obviously with the Diamonds so they were at that age where they were pushing in the sort of Vixens and whatnot so that's a really good competition I think we lost the Diamonds by two um we we beat New Zealand a we lost to the ferns they were really slick and then England was a bit like the like so 
really strong competition, which was cool, but it was all just fair training matches, whereas we were like, game on. This is like our <laughs> World Cup. So, yeah, that was pretty cool just to be involved in that. So what was so special about that one? You need to play an under-21 nationals to get selected in that Australian team. So the girls that were playing, like Liz Watson and all that, they didn't have to do nationals because they were obviously in the middle of their season playing for Vixens and whatnot. So they were already in. So you kind of need the fillers from that tournament. And that was the tournament that I worked so hard to get back from my knee for. That was the one that I was playing after like nine months of my rehab. So I sort of thought, this is my last national was underage. We're going for three in a row from South Australia. Like I want to make this. And then to then get peaked to buy in that, it was just like, yeah, so, so happy. I was just happy to be there. I looked at the girls on the team and I was like, this is just going to be a fun week because there's no pressure on me. These girls are superstars. I'm just happy to be involved. So, yeah, really, really fun time that one was. And what was the toughest game that you ever played at under-21s? Was it that New Zealand game? Probably the Diamonds just because of how similar the style was and how much the girls in my team wanted to show why they should be there next. Christiana Manu was on against D-Bass. And it was just epic. Like she was coming out for these flies. It's when Laura Geitz was still playing, Julie Coletto. They were all still playing, wow. Renee Ingalls. So because we were so goal for gold, that one felt like the most competitive just because we were matching them in all positions on the court. It was funny because the coach obviously has to be like, everyone needs equal court time. This isn't to win. This is for our development. But that last quarter, it was like, no, no, no. Everyone stay where you are. Like we're taking this. So <laughs> uh, yeah, that was probably the most competitive and the most enjoyable. The New Zealand one was a bit, they were just too good for us. It was almost not like, you know, you, you try things, but it wasn't really in our reach. Whereas, yeah, the Diamonds one was a very, very fun match. <laughs> mm. And then obviously a few years later, we talked briefly about your time at the Thunderbirds where you sort of sat on the bench for a little while and then you were mm-hmm. coming into the squad. And then you obviously had your departure from Australia to come to play in the Super League. So tell us a bit about how this happened. Were you kind of actively looking to move abroad at that stage? I was actually, yeah. So I was at the point, I mean, not old by any means, but I was 25 and I was thinking, I just don't want to be a training partner forever. Just training full-time for no money but committing to all the stuff for no rewards every time there was an off-season that I didn't get a contract in the 10 I was a bit kind of like okay how many more times can I go through this phase so the owner Seaman was playing for the Thistles she her dad was Scottish so she was able to play for them and Kat Tuivaiti knew Gail who was the science coach as well and they had Super Cup over in New Zealand um that tournament that they've got and Gail obviously has that connection so science got invited there was a South African team and a Malaysian team um yeah it was just a really cool competition and they mm. needed a few mid cooks they couldn't get all their thistle girls or science girls over so they contacted people in Australia just like shooters or mid court we just need people that can get there to fill numbers so I was at the point where I was willing to take on any opportunity I was like I'll pay for my flights just like get me there so I can get involved and just see if I can match it um so I met all the girls there and I wasn't getting really much court time because they were trying to get the international exposure for their their thistles girls. And then midway through the week, Gail, the coach, was like, so we want you to play for us next year. How does that sound? And I was like, wow. I didn't think you thought anything of me. You haven't put me on. She's like, no, no, we're, like, we're really happy with you. We just wanted to get these girls on, blah, blah, blah. Here's like a semi-offer. Can you let us know by Friday? And I was like, oh, my goodness, Okay like wow but then in my head I thought no no because I went into this thinking this is my opportunity to get a go I've got the opportunity and they're offering me a go 
I always knew I was going to say yes. So I rang my partner back home. He was over the moon. He was like, yep, when are you leaving? Like, this is, we're doing this. And I literally applied for my visa within the next couple of weeks of getting home and then was on a plane like six weeks later coming over to Scotland. So it happened quite quickly, but I was in that headspace before it happened that I was going to say yes to anything. So yeah, it all happened quite quickly, but was so stoked when it happened and very, very glad with the decision I made. Amazing. And so when you moved to the UK, there obviously must have been quite an adjustment in terms of them playing in the Super League and living in Scotland compared to Australia. A lot more rain, I'd imagine. (laughs) Um, And what were the main challenges that you noticed in terms of the training environment and just day-to-day life? Yeah, definitely the weather. It was cold (laughs) and it was raining a lot. The day I landed, it was actually beautiful. And I was like, oh, why do people wind? No, 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 don't don't get used to it. This is not You just wait. Yeah, I was like, this is beautiful. But I knew Kat. I'd been with her at T-Birds the year before and got quite close to her. So she was kind of that sister over here within the team. It was quite nice that I'd met them all at the Super Cup. So I already knew a lot of the, you know, core of the playing groups. That was quite nice. I wasn't walking completely into a new team. But yeah, just little differences. Like I'd come, I'd come from T-Birds where you have your physio there for, you know, two, three hours before training starts because these are, they're professional athletes and they need everything looked at to make sure they're ready to go. You know, you train 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. because that's everyone's full-time job. You know, it's, it's early afternoons to coming here, which is a lot more like club level back home where people got to work full-time. So training's going to be 7 till 9, you know, like quite late like that. It's just how it is so people can get involved or she's not going to have a team so I guess still training with contacts my prem team I was used to it it wasn't too much of an adjustment but compared to t-birds it was back to that not unprofessional in terms of not up to scratch because everyone's standards were quite high but more just you know it's job number two not one for majority of the girls that were there so yeah it clearly worked when they offered me another one because I was like cool yep ready to commit again had a, had a ball <laughs> Well, speaking of that re-signing, on your second year for Sirens, in an interview, you said, and I quote, it's put me outside of my comfort zone, helped challenge my character and grow as a person. And I find this phrase of challenge your character really interesting. So can you go into a bit more detail about what you mean by this and what changes you've noticed in yourself since playing in the UK? Yeah, for sure. It, that that ch- challenge of my character, I really didn't know how I was going to behave you know, and grow into sort of a young adult going from living at home, the same state, always in Adelaide my whole life, always playing the same club with the same girls coming through, just familiar. So I came over here, a whole new country. I know it's English, but it feels like a different language sometimes when they talk. <laughs> um, and just, yeah, different sort of culture in terms of city and how the league works. And I just had no idea how I was going to respond and if it was going to, you know, really push me to sort of get outside my comfort zone, grow as a you know, maturity, independence, all that sort of stuff. And I just found that the type of person I became over here in terms of netball and away from netball, I really started to like who I was becoming. Like I just worked out what was important to me, worked out sort of what added value to my life and really threw a lot of energy into that rather than getting caught up in a few things that I was back home, just with, you know, non-selection and balancing work and whatnot, that I really liked the type of character I was turning into being over here being challenged in all the right ways, challenging science and netball Scotland in all the right ways, all sort of stuff to help improve on you know relationships in every level. So that's probably what I meant by that, challenging my character. And I was I was quite happy with the growth that I saw and the and happy with the character I was evolving into. 
And you mentioned there about the off-court side of things. So as you've mentioned, you're a qualified physio alongside being an elite athlete. So how important is it for you to have that life away from netball? It's probably tricky over here just in terms of I didn't know a lot about the visa situation, how many hours I could work, you know, international registration. So I haven't done any physio work since being here, but back home, yeah, I balanced private practice sort of 30 hours a week with full-time training. And I was probably very fortunate that my boss back home used to be the Thunderbirds physio. So she completely got it that if I got selected after Thursday night training and had to fly out the next day, I had to cancel my list of patients because I'm involved in, you know, the traveling 10. So she got that, which was unbelievable support. I know not everyone's Mm. as lucky as I am to sort of, you know, need less than 12 hours notice that I can't come to work tomorrow. So balance was huge. I, I knew I couldn't just be a training partner, not earn anything and be 25, hoping that it'll one day happen. So balance was huge. And then coming over here, obviously, that first year, it was just nice to be able to train and not have to worry about anything else. I'd never done that before, just to sort of really see how good can I get if I just dedicate my whole week, <coughs> excuse me, just to netball. And then when I signed on for was my second and third year, Netball Scotland had been great and sort of offered me an admin role just to sort of fill in my days, you know, get back into that sort of normal week of, you know, routine. You go to work and you have training. So definitely finding more of a balance now, which is great. And they've helped me so much with that support. Mm-hmm. And you're one of a number of imports in the Super League who are all, in our opinion, absolute icons. Um, <laughs> the likes of Vincumbo, Mvula, Liana Liotta, Mary Cholock, Danelle Wallum. There's just loads of you. It's amazing. Um, so what has your experience been like as an import in this competition? Have you ever felt any additional pressure to make sure that you bring your A game because you've got this label of being a sort of star import player? That's a funny one. I think in my first year, because we had cat to it in the team i didn't feel too much pressure because i knew she was used to copying that no matter what team she's in just because of the way she plays and also her name so she was really good at helping me sort of just figure out what role do you want to play in this team and once you you've decided that they're your standards and don't sort of let anybody else hype you up or or you know ping you down that you have to match that so she was great support in terms of just finding out my role and then i think moving into my second year because it was my second year, I kind of just thought this I'm a second year sirens player, not an import. I know it comes with the responsibilities. Getting captaincy obviously came with its own responsibilities, but nothing I wasn't used to. So I kind of just turned it around and thought, what role do I want to make for myself here? Is it a leader? Is it, you know, core of the group? Is it setting standards at training? And just have put that on impression myself so I know that I can sort of reach my standards. Um it's nice though when you just listed that there's so many Australians that have come over here and so many sort of Australians with British passports that have come over as well. So it's fun to see that sort of mix up of which teams got which involvement and it's, you know, not just all the African nations with their flair and whatnot. You know, there's quite a few Australians over here sort of just filling those spots. So yeah, no, no added pressure apart from the ones I put on myself, which I normally do with standards that I want to set for myself. So yeah. Hmm. As part of the research for this episode, I was reading a profile on you in the South Australian Sports Institute. Oh it said that. <laughs> Here we go, I'm just scooping you. Um, it said that the best advice you'd ever been given was, and I quote, think training is hard, try losing, which is 
like brilliant but brutal I love yeah. that it's great yeah. isn't it and we know that in previous seasons of the Super League sirens have been down the bottom end of the table so how do you personally handle sort of coming off of a loss or feeling like you either individually or collectively have maybe underperformed at times yeah it's especially when we've got those long bus journeys home up to Scotland in that first year because we were losing quite a bit obviously Kat getting pregnant left the sort of environment that was sort of another bit that made that a little bit trickier and because I come from contacts who were a very successful club I wasn't used to losing as often as as we were but I think what helped is you could see within the group everyone was trying their absolute hardest to make sure that wasn't the result like it it it, if I was sort of watching a group and everyone was whinging and you know, didn't want to get involved and it's all too hard. I would have thought, what's the point then? Why are we even rocking up to these games if it's if it's if we're already going to put it down as a loss? Why are we even travelling and wasting our time and money? So, I think because I could see the core group that was there were just willing to fight every match and it didn't go our way. That's what kept me motivated. Which I think moving into season two, I know we lost the pulse in round one at Super Ten. We shouldn't have lost that, and then we were quite competitive with Loughborough and we were up at half time but lost that one and then the third match we played Surrey and we won at home but I was like now nah, we've got like we've got it this group has got it they've got that mentality that they're going to go in and fight whoever walks in front of them so I'm willing to stick with that so first year was very tricky just because off court it was hard my boyfriend was still back home so he wasn't over here but I think the excitement of it being a new team new franchise and I'm in the Super League maybe shadowed all that doubt of being like this isn't fun we're losing Mm. and then when second year rolled around and you know Jeremy moved over we were playing well and the mentality had shifted I was like yeah yeah like this is this is worth sticking with obviously COVID happened and that season got cancelled but you can see that obviously with this year that it's carried on we've really stuck together and made sure that that mentality that winning mentality and competitiveness is yeah right through flowing right through the squad. Yeah. And since you became captain, I think it's fair to say that your leadership of Sirens on court has made waves off court as well, particularly yeah. with the statement you made in an interview saying we are one of the big guns. We absolutely love that. We've referenced Obsessed. it so many times. We love it. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say your strengths are as both an athlete, captain and a person? Strengths as a leader. I like to think that how I behave and how I hold myself wouldn't change with or without a title. It's just how I'm going to behave regardless. I like to set quite high standards for myself and not unrealistic, but still high standards for the rest of the squad as well. That how can I ask someone else to match those standards if I'm not doing it myself? But once we agree upon them, there's no dipping below that. That's what we've decided and everyone's committed to that and that's it. So yeah, holding people accountable for those sort of things, I think is a huge quality of mine that I'm, not afraid to have tough conversations with people because I have enough respect for them. I work hard to build those relationships with girls or, you know, ones I'm close with, ones I'm not, ones I don't have a lot in common with off court. So when it does come time to in the moment, I can make a comment. I know they're going to know it's coming from a good place because I put in that work into the relationships and we have that respect. So that was huge to me over COVID as well. I guess we had plenty of downtime to really work hard to sort of solidify those, those units and connections that, yeah, since it's come here, I, I, I will not shy away from a challenge. If someone's, you know, questioning whether it's acceptable or not, I'm happy telling them if it is or isn't, if they need to lift. And I think people have appreciated that as well. And vice versa, let me know if I'm slipping, let me know if I'm not doing this in the right way. 
there's there's no point whinging about stuff if you haven't made a point to sort of try and fix it. So yeah, accountability is huge. Relationships and respect is huge. And just really having that mentality that we're here to compete and we're not a walk in the park and we're not here to fill numbers. So everyone's sort of taken it. I think it took a bit just because I was a new person, new face, and I was calling people up on stuff. But since we've been getting results, I think everyone sort of started to develop that behaviour as well. And now we have no egos and we don't win. So I think everyone about the travel was like, oh, centralised venue. And we sort of thought, you don't have to travel from Glasgow down to London every week. But we decided before the season even started, we do not whinge about that because, you know, we're fortunate enough to play netball. So why are we going to whinge and take ourselves out of it? So, yeah, no egos, no excuses. And it's just a good culture that we've developed this year. Amazing. (laughs) And talking about that culture as well. So I'm pretty sure that sirens have captured the hearts of almost every neutral fan and even some non-neutrals, I would say, this Mm. season. And we've started to see a real shift in netball in Scotland in general over the recent years with the appointment of Karen Atkinson as technical director in 2019, Tamsin Greenway as Thistle's head coach in 2020, and of course, Claire Nelson's appointment as CEO of Netball Scotland in 2015. Mm -hmm. So you can really see the impact that these incredible women are having on and off the court. So how have these key netball figures influenced that team culture at the club? I think with Karen and Tamsin having been like players at this elite level before is just, you can't even question how beneficial that's been for us. They get it. They get the emotion you have with the players. They get when you're trying hard, but you might not get results or something. So it's nice to know that they've almost, they're on your side because they've been in that position before both being mid-court as well, we're loving life as, as in the videos <laughs> when they come up for technical. So, um, yeah, with with sort of the combination of Claire Nelson as well, it's just netball high-performance excellence pretty much. You know, kind of what I said before about the standards, if they've seen that successful things happen, if you work to this level, they're going to plan a program at that level and expect players, if you're committing to behave at that level the whole time. And I think that's always been there, but maybe just not reinforced or not followed up or everyone agrees, but it hasn't been put into place. Whereas the last couple of years, it's really just been, that's how it is here now. And that's, that's, we're not sort of stepping back from that. So having them involved and just, obviously they're both very successful that why not copy what successful people have done before? It's clearly worked and it's clearly getting results this year that, um, yeah, it's been huge. And with Leslie McDonald as our head coach as well, sort of, in and out of the the program this year and seeing her learn from Karen and Tamsin with the support from Claire Nelson it's just yeah we're actually so lucky when you look at the staff we have as sirens that we we have the amount of sessions we do with these names because we're Mm. learning so much and just working so hard to do well for them and give back. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been amazing this year watching the progress of Sirens. And I think that, you know, you personally have contributed so much to that, which is is really awesome. So thinking about your entire netball career, so you've obviously represented Australia under 21s, you've played in the SSN, you've played in the Super League, and you were also selected for the Legends series earlier this year. So out of all of those teams that you've played with, which players that you've worked with have challenged and taught you the most as a netballer? The oh, out of out of those teams, I would definitely say Sirens, because I got a whole lot of more responsibility from 
players, coaches, myself, the outside, that I sort of welcomed with open arms, you know, like just give me responsibilities and a challenge and to see if I can sort of match that and make it better. Like I love that, like just, yeah, throw as sort of many opportunities that show we can grow and I'll love that, which I probably didn't get from the other teams. The other teams are more just so exciting to be in. You know, the Legend Series, I remember when I got that call and I thought, are you sure they meant me? Like, <laughs> And they told me the names that were involved and I was like, this is before we'd had the year we'd had. You know, we were, last time I would have seen Sirens play, we were second to bottom, but I was like, is this a token invite because I'm an imp? I was like, I'm taking it. I'm not saying no. Like, say yes, say yes before they change their mind. And just be able to see everyone involved in that, it was just such a fun time, especially because you didn't know whether the season was going to go ahead or not with the restrictions. That to do that and tick it off was like, what a fun experience that may never happen again. Um, Under 21's Australian was a joy, but again, just so exciting to be there and what an opportunity, as with T Birds, but it had its highs and lows. Whereas this, with the amount of independence I've seen in myself and maturity from the start to end I've loved everything that's happened the last three years with science the highs and the lows because the highs are worth so much more when you've gone through the lows with the same group of girls as well so yeah definitely sirens and are there any individual players in particular who've had a big impact on you throughout your entire netball career <clears throat> I pl- back home in- at contacts I play with my older sister and we're both oh. mid-court <laughs> and we've both been through seasons and finals with each other but because she's my older sister there was a funny age when we were about 14 15 and she could see I was taller than her and I was getting picked in teams that she wasn't and it took her about six months to figure out how she was going to go about it and then after that she was my biggest support out of anyone so she was almost a bit nervous that why is she doing better than me and then as soon as she figured it, it was not a bad thing for her she was massive so she was the one that was always like go for this go for that push yourself for this She's so proud of me being over here. Like it's, it's, she's probably been a huge one that's just made me be like, yes, what I'm doing is right. Might not get it right every time, but I'm moving in the right direction. So definitely her. But then also just people in high performance programs like Nat Bomberto, Aaron Bell, Renee Ingles, and you see how hard they train and how professional they are. Mm. When they're next to you, you're like, okay, that's the standard I've got to, I've got to reach. They're the values they've got and they're not backing down. So there's been some, been some big names that I've played with like my very first weekend I traveled with Thunderbirds I roomed with Rebecca Bully like wow. I was like hi and she gave <laughs> my dress so lots of big names that lots of people would know probably the young ones the sirens don't know a lot of those names especially because they're Australian but <laughs> I feel like netball true netball fans are like yes like shiny Lake was at T-Birds and I was there it was all sort of that that era that I just sort of thought you guys are this you're winning your elite and that's your standard so yeah so yeah but on a more personal level definitely my older sister oh I really love that and talking about your family as well we know that your father is a seven-time premiership <laughs> AFL player oh Bruce my god I'm gonna love that you know that <laughs> we have we have done our research we've been googling shout out to um, Bruce <laughs> yeah shout out if you're listening um, so how big an influence on you was growing up in a successful sporting family huge yeah it's it's funny because he loved that we were throwing ourselves into competitive sport but also understood he doesn't always just because he's played he doesn't always need to give us feedback he got that pretty early on which was great especially when you know you go through those off-season periods at Thunderbirds where you're not getting off the contract and he's the only one that probably knows what I'm going through 
like he's the only one that knows I don't want to talk about it. Like what's him telling me how annoyed he is or how sad he is for me going to help me at all? So he was probably so helpful in that that he was just like, right, what else do we do? Like what else What else are options have we got? If family, friends would come over and I know they're only ever meant it out of interest and kindness. It's like, well, you know, what's happening? You've had a great year. Why are you getting signed? He would always change the topic and just be like, well, would you want to talk about it? And he could do all that for me. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's really nice knowing that he's been through it. He gets it. He moved. So I'm from Adelaide and he moved to Melbourne to play when he was 17, moved out of home when he finished senior school and lived by himself and started his footy career. So when I made the decision to move over here, he was so just wrapped with me proud he knew the benefits I was going to get for the long run knew this was an opportunity that probably doesn't come around for that many people and was just so stoked and proud to see me sort of really find my own he came over for super 10 in first year and second year and he was going to make it three in a row to get there he just loved it you know 10 teams in round one he was thought it was just the coolest thing ever so yeah it's been helpful he's He's going to love that you said that, though, because when I was younger, <laughs> everyone was like, Bruce Abernethy. And then now that we've started to make a name for ourselves at Netball, a few times people have found him, you know, out for dinner and they go, are you Bruce Abernethy? He goes, yeah. And they go, I coached your daughter, too. Or I coached and he's like, <laughs> your cheetah's dad. Yeah, oh, my God. It's, it's nice. He's, he's been a great help, which has been good, especially having the three daughters playing Netball. He's just had to ride the wave with us. So, yeah, loving it. Amazing. And so last question then for you, Gia, because I know we've been taking up a lot of your time today. So what are your hopes for your future in netball? Do you have aspirations to play back in Australia or anywhere else in the world? What's your kind of dream big scenario? Dream big scenario. To be honest, I really am enjoying my time over here. Like I'm 27 now. My boyfriend's moved over with me living down in London as well. We're both experiencing life on the other side of the world that netball has sort of forced us into. It's when I got my contract and he sort of thought, are you going to play again? If you are, hell yeah, I'm with you. I'll apply for jobs. Let's take on this challenge and what an opportunity. So, I mean, the playing back home was always the dream, but I never got that opportunity where it's here I really like that I've had that opportunity and I've really enjoyed my time here that I would hate to walk away from that just because something I wanted five years ago all of a sudden became available. So yeah, next two, three years, I'd love to play Super League still over here. Even if it's not playing netball over here, we really like it over in the UK and, and plan to stay for a little bit just because once we go home, that's it. We probably won't come back over you know, houses, kids, all, all that mm. sort of stuff starts to come to play. Whereas we've got this little moment in our life together at the same age where we can it's the selfishness where we can do what we want together so yeah I I kind of love it over here and don't really want to go home too soon so <laughs> the netball dream if it can keep me over here and and that be sort of my job while I'm here that that's the dream definitely amazing Aww. oh well we are so happy to have you here Gia and it's mm. been awesome to chat to you today and hear your story so thank you so much for coming on the show with us no, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. I'm so embarrassed that you Googled that about dad, but I love it. I can't wait like to tell him. <laughs> we do everything. If there's something on about you online, we'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're not stalkers. It's <laughs> amazing. Research, research. Yeah, research. Yeah. <laughs> <Perfectly>. <laughs> Thanks, Gia. 
Thank you so much for listening to episode 18 of Quarter Time. We can't wait to bring you even more netball chat and another awesome guest next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Quarter Time Pod for the latest netball updates. Get involved in the conversation online by letting us know what you think of the matches this weekend and which players have stood out for you. See you next week. Bye. Bye.